So, Bethany. Hello. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? Good. We're off format. It's super fun. I, I don't know what to do. I don't have any formal introduction. I'm Bethany Brookshire, a writer at Science News and Society for Science and the Public. Okay, I feel better now. That was that was perfect. We'll use that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, are doing a little science birthday project, and we wanted to do a little special feature on the scientist that you found to feature for our science birthday this year. So tell us, who did you find? Um, it was actually, we had a whole list. We did, I think there were, how many people did we end up coming up with? I, I ended up finding about 17 different options um, of scientists whose birthdays we could celebrate. Um, and part of the reason we ended up picking this one um, actually had a lot to do with the fact that there's a lot of scientists born in February. <laughs> why i don't know but there's a lot um we needed someone with a little bit later birthday and um i came across this man and his birthday is may 31st and more importantly i just found his life really fascinating he's a really deeply interesting person um his name is lloyd quarterman um, and he was born on May 31st, 1918 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he passed away in 1982. So he is sadly not around anymore. But um, his work was really super important. So talk to me a little bit about Lloyd Quarterman's work. What kind of scientist was he? Um, he was a chemist. Uh, most specifically, he was a fluoride chemist. Um, and he he was one of those kids who got a chemistry set as a kid and basically never recovered. <laughs> apparently. Uh, we are all, if we could all be saddled with such afflictions. I know. I mean, haven't we all been there? Um, so he ended up with a degree from St. Augustine's college in Raleigh, which is, um, I, I think it's still a um, primarily African-American institution um, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And he was also a football player. So that's pretty cool. But, chemistry was more important. He graduated in 1943. Uh, and immediately out of college was recruited to the Manhattan Project. Wow. So that's a huge first step right out of college. Yeah, he went to Chicago and just walked right into the Manhattan Project. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And, and there's actually a very good reason. Um, it's because he was a chemist and not just a chemist, he was a fluoride chemist. Um, so he was working on nuclear reactors pretty much from the beginning, trying to um, not do the nuclear reaction itself. As a chemist, his main job was actually to isolate the radioactive elements used in nuclear reactions. So fluoride chemistry is one of the earliest things they found to isolate radioactive elements, in particular hydrogen fluoride is very useful for separating out uranium-235. And that's the uh, atom that you need to explode things. <laughs> you need lots of it. Um, so his work, his hydrogen fluoride separation of uranium-235, he produced the uranium-235 used to build Little Boy, which was the bomb that dropped on Hiroshima in 1945. Wow. So he was right in there and sort of instrumental to some of the work that was being done on the Manhattan Project and some of the results of that work. 
Yes. Um, and it's actually, it's sad. I, I've been digging around for information, um, about Quarterman and he's really hard to find. Like he's, he's not an easy guy to find stuff on, which is, you know, good. That was part of our goal was to, you know, bring scientists to the public eye who, you know, probably no one's ever heard of. Um, but because of that, I, I can only find one interview that he ever did. And when he did do the interview, I think it was in the 1970s and the Manhattan Project had not been declassified. So there was, he couldn't talk about it. Um, it's really too bad because I would love to know what he thought, you know, yeah. like is he okay with it. Was he upset? It would be really, it's always really interesting to hear from scientists from that era, in particular scientists uh, and researchers who were working on the project and who knew what they were working on as well and what it could potentially be used for and how they felt at the time versus how they felt after the bombs were dropped versus maybe how they feel now with the value of retrospect. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be really interested in especially considering what he did with his later work. Um, he worked on a lot of things that were very positive and, and life focused. Um, and so I, I wonder if he would have, I, I wonder if he was happy with what happened. Um, cause you know, I mean, America won the war, but it was at terrible cost and, you know, it's probably not a great thing that, that, you know, nuclear bombs exist. In fact, it's, it's definitely not a great thing they exist, I would say. Probably um, most people would agree that, yes. Yeah, not okay. Um, so yeah, but he, um, the Manhattan Project lab where he worked in Chicago, so most people think of the Manhattan Project being based entirely in New Mexico. Um, but there were Manhattan Project labs in various places around the country, including Chicago. Um, and the lab where he was working was actually transformed into what is now Argonne National Laboratories. Um, and if you go to their website, you can actually find his papers. They're, they're still there. So, um, and he worked at Argonne National Laboratories um, until his death, actually, I think. Um, and he continued to work on fluoride there and he did some really cool stuff. Uh, so he used it to prove that inert gases so argon, xenon, these are gases that usually don't react with anything. Um, he used it to prove that they can react with other atoms, and he got them to react with fluoride, and he created combinations of things like fluoride and xenon. And that sounds like wonky, nerdy superchem. <laughs> like, oh, look at you, you're just, you know, colliding atoms, whatever. But no, it's actually really important. Xenon difluoride turned out to be incredibly useful for etching silicon plates, tiny, tiny silicon plates, which also sounds kind of like something you would only use to create something used in a lab. But no, it's used to etch tiny silicon plates like the ones used in the microphone of your cell phone right now. So the silicon plate in the microphone of your cell phone was probably etched with xenon difluoride, which was developed by Lloyd Quarterman. So every time we use the microphone on our cell phone, to some extent, we are using something that only happened in part because of Lloyd Quarterman. Because of him. And when he discovered that those inert gases could react with fluoride, it really shook up the chemical community. They were very surprised um, by this. Like it was just kind of assumed that 
it was not a thing that could happen. Um, so, you know, he really discovered something interesting. Um, yeah. And he also had this pet project, um, which sadly never became a thing. He, I think he ran into kind of political and funding issues and that sort of thing. But what he really wanted to do with the rest of his life's work was to develop artificial blood using chemistry. Um, it never happened, but he really wanted to do it. Well, Which as, is, as hobby and pet projects go, that that sounds like a pretty worthwhile one. Yeah. Um, and also, it should be noted, he did additional work on uranium-235, um, not for more bombs, <laughs> but actually to create the world's first peaceful nuclear reactor used for energy. Um, so he was involved with that one as well. So he did a lot of, uh, oh, and he created atomic-powered submarines. <laughs> he worked on those too. That's awesome. Uh, so, I mean, he he did a lot of stuff, um, but he's just a, I think, I, I love that he's done so many varied things with chemistry, um, but I also really find it fascinating that his legacy, even though, you know, everything he was doing was kind of at the time, you know, not necessarily positive, but patriotic, it still has a kind of complicated legacy because of what, you know, he had to create, you know, I mean, did he have much choice in what he had to create, but, you know, he, he kind of ended up with a complicated legacy. And I think that's really interesting. It's interesting too that I mean he's he's clearly made a lot of really important contributions and I had never heard of this person and I know that you had a lot of trouble tracking down information about this scientist uh, and if you look at the scope of the work he did and what contributions it made that's really surprising that he's so buried or maybe it isn't surprising given that he was an African American scientist working uh, working in the forties. I mean, I think that was part of it. Um, he, well, also, he was an African American scientist working in the 40s in World War II, one of six African American scientists working in the Manhattan Project in Chicago. Um, and he was working under Enrico Fermi and Albert Einstein. So <laughs> it's not, it's, it's probably, there's a, certainly probably some racism involved. Um, but there's also, definitely some star power <laughs> overshadowing, you know, because I mean, Fermi and Einstein were already famous um, before the Manhattan Project. So. Yeah, I mean, both of those, both of those scientists would cast very long shadows. Yeah, so I think, I think that's part of it. Um, yeah, but it, I, I did have a lot of trouble finding it. Um, he was found on a couple of websites um, that kind of uh, had short paragraphs on him as kind of, you know, here is a famous or a, a you know, a very uh, important um, person of color uh, in science. And so there would be like a paragraph, but it was like the same paragraph across the internet on this guy. It's the only paragraph that is the ever only existed. paragraph. Um, so I, I started hunting him down and I, I called some people at atomic heritage and I called um, the American chemical society was actually really, helpful. Um, I, I messaged them about it and they said, oh man, we've got no idea, but we're going to send it out to our community of experts. So they 
have this community of chemical experts that are people who have agreed to basically talk to journalists about, um, you know, their, uh, about how chemistry works and, you know, comment on the record and that sort of thing. Um, and so it was really funny because they messaged them and they didn't message me. So I didn't know who the chemical experts were, (laughs) but all of a sudden, all these people I knew from Twitter were messaging me being like, Hey, you're looking for information on this guy. (laughs) Here's a little piece. No, they didn't have anything. Oh, (laughs) they were like, I have no idea, but you're looking for information on this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was, it was really interesting. A lot of them had like tips about where to look like, Oh, call Argonne national laboratories. Um, And I've, I've hunted around on their website and I've messaged Argonne actually three or four times now. (laughs) Uh, But I haven't, I haven't heard back, uh, which is kind of sad, but. Um, yeah, no, I, I had to kind of dig around and put the pieces together. Uh, the Atomic Heritage Foundation was kind enough. There is a book um, with the single interview that I can find that Lord Quarterman ever did on the record. <laughs> and it's like four pages long. <laughs> and it's in the middle of this book on famous African-American scientists of like the 20th century. <laughs> And it was published in like the 1970s and it's not even in print anymore. And so I messaged them and I was like, do you have it? And they were like, yes. And they actually got it out of their library, scanned it and sent it to me. Oh, that was very sweet of them. (laughs) Yes, it was. It was really nice of them. Um, And it was very, very useful because I kind of got an idea of, you know, some of the other stuff that he did. Oh, he did another thing, which is really super cool. He invented a diamond window that could be used to view molecules. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's really super nerdy, but it's it's interesting and, and neat. And it's a super tiny, 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 tiny diamond window. <laughs> it's amazing sometimes I think about the types of, you know, we think about modern science as being super cutting edge, but man, we did some cutting edge stuff. Even, you know, back in the middle of the century, in the early part of the century, it, it yeah. still kind of blows my mind sometimes. Well, and it, it depends on on the field. You know, I think that uh, right now we're kind of in a cutting edge of like, you know, biomedicine and like neuroscience and uh, well, and certainly, you know, physics and that sort of thing. But, you know, chemistry is a bit of an older field in terms of science. And so I feel like we've had chances to make more discoveries for longer you know, so you get more of these developments over a longer period of time. Um, So I think I think that was useful. Um, But I found uh, the interview was great, because I found a lovely quote that he said. Um, Despite all the work on the Manhattan Project, and despite how disappointed he was um, about not developing artificial blood, because he really wanted to, he felt he could save 1000s and 1000s of lives, and he really wanted to do that. Um, But what he said was, we are in an age of discovery. We live in the world of the unknown. That's the only place to live. Oh, that's that's a really lovely sentiment from a man who really dedicated his life to science. Yeah. I mean, and he kind of, I really wish that he hadn't died before I was born because <laughs> I would love to talk to him. I think he's one of those scientists who enjoyed that moment that scientists that I I have experienced only a couple of times, but it's the moment you have as a scientist when you realize 
that you've discovered something new. And until you tell somebody you are the only person in the world who knows. And it's this kind of, it's this wonderful, wonderful moment where you realize you have learned something incredibly new about the world. And you're the only one. It's like, and now you have to go and tell everybody. (laughs) It's like the universe has let you in on a little secret. Yeah. And I feel like he really felt that about chemistry. I thought that was really beautiful. Well, he is definitely a worthy, a very worthy uh, person to feature on the first science birthday. So if you are interested in learning more about Lloyd uh, Quarterman, apparently there's not much out there about him. Uh, but for our Patreons, we have sent a birthday card with some custom made art uh, that we have commissioned, which looks great, uh, and a lovely poem written by our very own Bethany Brookshire. I wouldn't say it was a good poem. It's a lovely poem. I have it right uh-huh. here in front of me, <laughs> and I think it's great. <laughs> but if you want to know what that poem says, you uh, would have to need to have been on Patreon. I think there might still be a few of these left. So if you're interested, jump on, uh, join us on Patreon while supplies last. You might be able to get yours in our last mailing, which is going to happen after May 31st. Um, so you have up until the end of the day, May 31st, to join us on Patreon. Uh, and maybe you can get uh, a birthday card as well and learn a little bit more about Lloyd Quarterman. Yeah. Happy birthday, Lloyd. Happy birthday, Lloyd. Really cool. I wish I could have met you. Happy birthday and thank you. Hi, this is Bethany. Just an update. Since this podcast was recorded, I did hear from Argonne National Labs. They sent me all the papers they could and tried very hard to get me in touch with someone who actually worked in the office right next to Lloyd Quarterman. Unfortunately, since Quarterman died in 1982, his co-worker is also getting on in years and I couldn't get an interview. But thank you so much to Argonne National Labs for sending materials and helping us out. 